Well, if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be spending some time together this morning. I want you to turn there, and we'll have some, some passages up, a passage related to what I want to share from this morning with you. But as uh, some of you may know, you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we started two weeks ago, Kondo shared out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. That was a great message. By the way, all of our sermons are online. If you go to our website, you can, you can find those. And so Kondo shared verses 1 through 6, which talk about kind of characteristics or qualities of spiritual maturity. Humility is one. Uh, patience is another. Um, gentleness. Unity in the church. And last week, I had a chance to, to, for us to look at verses 7 through 13, and we looked at this idea of equipping, how God wants his church to be equipped. God wants us not just to have good Bible head knowledge, as important as knowing the Bible is. He wants us to learn to put that into practice. First and foremost, in our own personal spiritual lives, but so importantly, to develop ourselves to be a blessing to the body of Christ. God has given each and every one of us a gift, and some of you multiple spiritual gifts. Those don't develop on their own. And so God gave leadership to churches in order for them to develop, in order for us to develop our gifts to be a blessing to the body. Well, that whole theme kind of continues in verses 14 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4, and that's going to be our text for this morning, just these three verses. And these will be up on the screen as well. Let me begin in verse 14. Paul writes, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow up to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each one, as each one does its part. Now, when I think of growing up, any, any of you ever been told, grow up, grow up? And you say, yeah, just this past week, somebody told me to grow up. And she lives in the same house with me. She's called my wife, you know. Or I say that to my kids all the time, when are you going to grow up? You know, so, but that term doesn't have to be, you know, uh, an accusation, even though it may be true. It's a goal. It's a goal. Did you know that God's goal for you is for you to grow up spiritually? Now, there's something so beautiful about Scripture because so many things about what God does are so kind of intertwined and so consistent and complementary with each other. One of the things I learned, and I, <laughs> my two daughters, some of you know my daughter Lisa, my two daughters are 35 and 32, and I have six grandkids. So I've done the parenting thing for quite a while, doing the grandparenting thing. Much more fun, by the way, much easier for the grandparent. But Somebody shared with me years ago as a very, very young dad to think about what is my goal for my child when, in our case, it was two daughters. What is the goal for our kids when they leave home? 
where do you want them to be in terms of their own personal maturity and readiness, preparedness for leaving home, whether that's at 18 or I guess there are people who are in their 40s still living with mom and dad. But um, the point is that when they are officially adults, 18, 21, whatever that is, it's really not that important. But the question is, do you see how helpful it is as a parent to say, that's the end game for my child? And it's not that you ever quit being a parent, but what do I want my son, what do I want my daughter to look like when they are 18, we'll use that as an example, ready to be launched into adulthood? Do you think that's a good thing to think about as a parent? I really do. Well, let me tell you where I get that. I get that from the perfect father, the heavenly father. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, okay, Genesis chapter 1 is the creation chapter in scripture. Genesis chapter 2 also deals with creation, but what it does is it really focuses on the creation of man and woman. You'll see something to me very, very fascinating, very helpful in understanding what God as a father wants to accomplish in the lives of his children, us. Listen to this. This is a passage many of you know. Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24. The man said, this is after Eve had been created, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Look at this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, this is not a passage necessarily about marriage, even though this is often shared in a, in a marriage ceremony. That's fine. But in the King James Version, some of you have heard these phrases, it says you need to leave and cleave. But you need to leave. <laughs> Leaving is kind of a nice way of saying, uh, you're done, being under mom and dad's authority, it is time for you to launch out and be a grown-up. I think that's the point. And so in my thinking, God doesn't want children to stay children. And mom and dads should not want their children to perpetually continue forever and ever to be children. Can you see? I mean, it's just, it's just kind of logical. It's kind of common sense that you're born so that you might grow up and become mature. So here's my thinking when, uh, as a dad, when I, when I was raising my daughters as they were young, it's my, my goal as a dad is to raise my kids to be mature, Christ-following adults. That's the goal. Not necessarily to be the star on the basketball team. That's fine. That's not the goal. Not necessarily to be the valedictorian of her graduating class. That's fine. That's not ultimately the goal. The goal is a mature, Christ-following adult. And do you see how when that is your goal as a parent, when that is your goal as a parent, even from the moment you lay eyes on that precious little one, on the day they're born, that creates a whole way of parenting, an intentional goal in your parenting that prepares them for being a Christ-honoring, mature, responsible 
adult. Any of you not want your kids to be that? By the time they leave home, we all do. We all should. Well, doesn't it make sense if that's the goal of a good Christian parent or a couple who have children, that that would be God's goal as well. And that's what this portion of Ephesians 4, my friends, is all about. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to be spiritually mature ourselves as well as developing our gifts and abilities to contribute to our church family, Mission Points, your church family, so that we grow up together. That's the point. Now, I want to give you, a, I have four, I'll do these fairly quickly. I, I want to give you four very, very important, I think, observations that help us understand about growing up. So let me give you my first observation. And that is that childish is not the same as childlike. Childish is not the same as childlike. Now many of you know, and it is so true, Jesus loves the little children. In fact, all the children of the world. You know, this sounds, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of like a song. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves children. And it's because he's loving. But you know, the scriptures also tell us there's something about being childlike that God blesses and honors. There are characteristics of childlikeness that God greatly values. There's a passage over in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Let me, let me share this with you. This is so interesting and so helpful. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, this doesn't happen very often. He was indignant. He was furious. He was ticked off with his disciples. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, this is so important, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Childlike is not the same as childish because childlike is very valued by God. So what are some characteristics of being childlike? Um, you're very, very trusting. I think that might be the key one. You trust you trust people. Obedience, at least that's the goal of being childlike. Obedience, innocence, neediness, believing. Those are some, some of these characteristics, I think, that really define what it means to be childlike. Do you see how helpful that is in coming to Christ? To be childlike, I trust you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 talks about how even though we don't see him, you know, we trust him, we put our faith in him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not even seen. But there's a trust, there's an innocence, there's a neediness. Little children are so needy. They are. 
And the only way you and I will confess our sin, even to God himself, the only way you and I will confess our sin and embrace a Savior, knowing that we cannot save ourselves, is if we're needy. And children are so needy. Believing. Believing. So these are the traits that I think really define being childlike, something that Jesus highly values. But that's not the same as childish. Or as this passage talks about in verse 14, being infants, being spiritual infants. Look with me, if you would, about what it says here. It says, infants, the childish Christians, are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of, of teaching. Tossed to and fro by waves. I had a chance to kind of look up that, that Greek word, the word uh, in the original, and it means to be spun around so much you are dizzy. <laughs> Sounds like Disney World. Sounds like some experiences I've had at amusement parks. You're spun around so much that you're dizzy. Here's the picture. Here's the point. That if I am not profoundly, deeply rooted in truth, in a value system, in a system of morality, in a system that teaches me right from wrong, good from evil, moral from immoral, if I am not deeply rooted in that kind of system, then I'm just going to kind of go after anything. Well, that kind of sounds right. No, no, this kind of sounds right. Maybe that's right, and maybe I don't know, and I'm so confused. And can you see how that just stresses you out? Children. Children focus on the immediate, don't they? Often that's all they care about is the immediate. And that can be spiritual children as well. I tried to think through some characteristics of childishness. Let me share with you a couple of these. Number one, childishness, being consistently self-centered. All about me. Now, some of you are thinking about your three-year-old right now. That's good. Your four-year-old, your two-year-old, your 15-year-old. Your maybe we'll stop. Viewing everything in your life, this is childish, viewing everything in your life that you don't like as deeply unfair. Oh, show of hands. How many of you heard the unfair word this week? That's so unfair. And that came out of your spouse. You know, we're not even talking about your children. Unfair. You know, I can't. How many times do I hear the unfair word? I am sorry. I love my grandkids. But, man, you'd think everything in life was so unfair. That's very childish. So unfair. I am so entitled to everything I want. That's a childish thought. How about an inability to view life from another person's perspective? Well, I'm going to share this with my brother because he's so much more deserving than me of this toy, of this piece of cake, last piece of cake, you know, whatever. That's not the way childish people think. It's all about them. How about being defiant and belligerent toward authority figures? That's childish. How about never admitting being wrong? That's childish. You know, childish behavior, I don't want to pick on three-year-olds. I love three-year-olds, but they can be a handful. I just know about three-year-olds. They're kind of entering into this new independent stage of their lives. 
it's not the terrible twos. It really seems to be the terrible threes. That's my observation. I love three-year-olds. Please don't hear me saying I don't. I really do. But when a three-year-old acts childish, yes, we want to teach them. Yes, we want to train them. Yes, we want them to learn to be obedient and have a much better attitude. But it's not a crisis. But how about when it is a 16-year-old who is profoundly childish? That's, in, that's, that's concerning. But how about when it's a 40-year-old? That's a crisis. That is really a crisis. Well, how many years do we need to walk with Jesus to justify being spiritually childish still? You know, where should you be if you've known Christ for 10 years? Where should you be if you've walked with Jesus for 20 years? Where should you be if you've walked with him for 30 years? Are you and I, have walked with Jesus almost 44 years, are you and I just seeing growth and progress as the years tick by, more and more like him, more and more like him, more and more like him, more knowledgeable of his word, more able to bless others because Jesus' life is being lived out through you. That's what's supposed to be happening, my brothers and sisters. Not childish. We're no longer to be infants. We're no longer to be children who live in a state of confusion and stress and not knowing what's right and wrong. We're not supposed to be that. I, uh, I had an amazing experience Friday night. I should say Friday night and Saturday morning. It's called Fight Club. I went to Goshen. How many of my Fight Club brothers are here? That's it? You're still tired because we didn't get to bed. We didn't get to bed till 4 a.m. Saturday morning. I was trying to think, when is the last time I went to bed at 4 a.m. Saturday morning? Fight Club, some of you know this, is kind of a men's spiritual accountability group. That is as quiet as I have ever heard you. <laughs> you okay? I'm good. You're good. Okay, good. And so a group of us, I know, I will. Group of us went up, at least 12, we think many more, Scott and I think more than that. This program starts at midnight. I said, starts at midnight. It was a group of 400 men getting together. It was so much fun. I felt like I was a teenager again. Because we screamed and yelled and sang and guys short testimonies and it was so awesome. And at the very end, I want you to envision, was it 100 skids, Scott, at least? All piled up in a field with a whole bunch of diesel fuel uh, sprayed all over it. And the, lead, and, the, and the lead pastor, Jim Brown, had a flamethrower. I mean, is this the epitome of guy stuff? And he goes, and it's just almost like an explosion. I was waiting for the mushroom cloud. It was so crazy. It was nice because it was 10 degrees, you know, and then immediately it was 90 degrees after that happened. But here's the deal. There is a reason why I want to tell you this. I am so grateful that I have as much energy this morning as I do because I didn't get barely any sleep the other night. I feel good today. Thank you, Jesus. Is, uh, it's all about men being grown-ups, right? It's all about men saying, God, you have given me a responsibility, and I'm stepping up. I am stepping up to being a man, a grown-up. I am stepping up to being a man who passionately follows you with all my heart, Jesus. I'm a man who's going to pursue being a godly husband if I'm married, godly dad if I have kids, a godly 
person, leader, servant in my church, a man of God who speaks up for Christ in my workplace. I love that because it's all about being responsible grown-ups who are passionate about Jesus. Now, you don't have to go to Fight Club. Sorry, ladies. I'm sure you would have loved it. But you don't have to go to a fight club to commit to being a responsible grown-up. Not at all. But I love the fact that there are a group in our church and in other churches in this area who are deadly serious about being men who are grown-ups and fulfilling their responsibilities before Jesus because they love him and they love their families and they love their church. And that's the commitment. There's one, another one of my fight club brothers right there. Thank you, guys. Don't be childish, right? Be grown-up men. Be grown-up men. Okay, second observation. This also flows right out of verse 14. Right doctrine feeds righteous discernment. I want you to see that. How do we not be childish? How do we be grown-up? We need to feed our lives and feed ourselves on the truth of the Word of God because that's the only way we develop discernment about what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is moral, what is immoral. In fact, we need to feed our minds on that. I love Psalm 1. In fact, those of you on our staff who have seen my little space, my little cubicle space there, my office, I have a picture of a tree, a big, beautiful tree, and underneath it's Psalm 1. And he, the one who, whose mind is meditating on God's law day and night shall be like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. And in everything that person does, we prosper. You see, God wants you to have kind of a, a, I would call it a spiritual radar, a biblical truth radar. That's what he wants us to have. Why? Because we live and walk through this life And we are bombarded in our culture, in our society, we are bombarded by falsehood, right? We are bombarded by messages, and sometimes they're incredibly subtle, but we are, our our senses are bombarded by these messages that are not truth. They are not from God. They are not consistent with God's word. Are you equipped for your radar to go off when that happens? Are you equipped to say, that's not right? Are you equipped to say to your your son or daughter who's in the room, that's not right? Click. I don't think we want to be watching this. I don't think this is right. And, you know, we, many of us, most of us certainly get our fill of media input into our brains, don't we? We do. And my question is, are we counterbalancing that with truth? Because the only way you and I will ever be discerning The only way we'll, you know, the Holy Spirit will let the radar go off or have that radar go off that says, wrong, eh, wrong, wrong, is if our minds are filled with God's truth. If that is the foundation of how we view our lives. And I believe the Holy Spirit just so much wants you to be discerning about his truth. He really does. Because if you're not childish, again, childish people don't have discernment. Childish people don't say, I wonder, oh, I think God's word says that's, that's sin, that's wrong. I can't do that. That's wrong. And I think the more you fill your mind with God's truth, 
the greater sensitivity is your spiritual radar, your Holy Spirit-sensitized radar. That's what I like to call it. So that you know it's wrong or it's from the Lord. Right doctrine feeds righteous discernment. You know who our perfect example is? It's always our, he's always our perfect example. His name is Jesus Christ. And as Jesus was inaugurating his ministry, he had been baptized. What happened then? 40 days where? 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, right? Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. How did Jesus deal with the temptation of Satan when he was in the wilderness? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It is written. He quotes the Old Testament. Verse 7. It is written. He quotes the Old Testament. Verse 10. It is written. And he quotes the scriptures. My friends, that's how we combat the darkness. That is how we combat error. It is written. God has spoken clearly. Now, like me, you probably find yourself in situations, I certainly do, where um, I'm asked to give my opinion on some moral issue. And I might be the only Christian at the table. I might be the only Christian in the department. I might be the only Christian in that specific setting. Maybe some of you have had this experience. Um, You know, some topic is being debated, you know, being discussed, some social issue topic. And all of a sudden, five heads turn your way. Now, I know you're religious. Like, you, you go to church all the time, right? What do you think about this? What do you think? Boom, every eye fixed on you. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do? I hope you speak up. I hope you know. And here's a good phrase to use. I, I, I really encourage you to use it. Well, the Bible says, and some of you say, you say that? Oh, yeah. I don't want this to be. My opinion is, I want to say, well, I'll speak to you on this issue. This is what I agree with because the Bible says, boom. Guess what? In order to say that, guess what you need? You need to know what the Bible says. There's a thought. You need to study your Bible. You need to be informed of Scripture. The Bible says, you know, do you think God uses you in that moment when you quote his word? You're his spokesman in that moment. And my friends, that's where the power lies. There's no power in saying, well, you know, I kind of think. There's no power in that. God's word says, the Bible says, boom. Do it nicely. But that's where the power lies. That's when God can just convict somebody's heart, convict their mind. The Bible says, that's a good phrase. You've got to know the Bible, though, to use it. Okay, I need to keep moving here. So I'm going to share with you my third observation. This is found in verse 15, and that is truth in love is fertile soil for growth. I love this. But speaking the truth in love. Let me talk, let me give you a little grammatical thing again. So if you, if you read almost any um, translation, English translation of this first part of verse 15, it will say speaking the truth in love. 
But in reality, it's not that. In reality, it's truthing in love. Isn't that interesting? And you kind of see why they don't translate it that way? Because people say truthing. That's not like a real verb. That's not like a real word. But basically, that's what it is. Truthing in love. Here's, here's my point. My point is that it's living out the truth, speaking the truth. Everything about you is truth. Now, a lot of people say, is it truth like honesty or is it truth like God's word? And you know what my answer is? Yes and yes. I don't think we can differentiate the two. Truth is truth. Truth is honesty. Truth is God's special revelation to us. Scripture, it is. Truthing in love. Everything about you embodies truth. Now, that's a lifelong journey. None of us do that even close to perfectly. But that's the goal. Truthing in love. I like this idea of of truth and love. So here's what I want you to do. In your mind, I want you to think of a continuum. Okay, a big line. On this side is truth. God's uncompromised, absolute truth. On this side over here, I feel like I'm dividing you up into two groups. I'm not. Is love. Love. Okay? Now, truth is fantastic. Truth is important. But what happens when I'm only about truth? I'm all about truth. It's truth and nothing but the truth. It's just truth, truth, truth. That's what it is. Then you know what? I can beat you with it, right? I could be very hard. I can be very harsh with the truth. Any of you ever been around people who are really harsh with the truth? It's like, what you're saying from God's word is true, but you are so mean-spirited when you talk. You turn so many people off. You are so harsh. Now, sometimes that's hard to say to a in-your-face truth person because it usually doesn't calm them down. Get a little more fired up, you know? But truth without love... Truth without love, as somebody reminded me in between services, is like brutality. Truth without love is just beating people. The truth is great. But guess what happens when we're only on this side? We're all about love. Everything is love. Love, love, love. You know, it's just about love. Well, love is really good. I want to be loving. I want to be loved. But what's love without truth? It's heresy, I'd call it. It's, it's uh, some have said, sentimentalism. It's just not reflection of God. So here's the deal. I think in our society, you know, I'm, I'm obviously old enough that I have seen some, some shifts in our culture, and it's not that these things haven't always been there, but they're much more pronounced. You know, we talk about a culture of incredible tolerance, to the point, tolerance can be very wonderful and very godly if it's grace, if it's God's grace. But tolerance that says there is nothing that is absolutely right, nothing that is absolutely truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let's just get along and make sure we never discuss it. If my truth is truth that is part of the word of God, some parts of which are over 3,000 years old, all of it 2,000 years old. 
then uh, I'm sticking with it. I want to be loving as I share it, but I'm, not, I'm sticking with it. You know, on this continuum, if this is love without truth, if this is truth without love, where are you? Where are you on this continuum? Are you kind of more of a truth person? You can be loving. As long as you're talking with people who agree with you, you can be really loving. But are you more on this side? And maybe you're more the loving person who really, really, really struggles about speaking up in a context where everybody's not going to agree with you, everybody's not going to like what you say, and you are so intimidated and so afraid that you don't speak up. Or you even lie and say something you don't really believe because you're so afraid. You know, it says in John chapter 1, verse 18, there was one who came full of grace, love, and truth. Full of grace, full of truth. What's his name? His name is Jesus Christ. The perfect balance, right in the middle. Right in the middle. That's where I want to be. I don't want to compromise truth at all. I don't want to compromise love. I want to be right in the middle. I want to be gracious and loving. I want to be truthful and uncompromising. But I want to be those together. Speaking truth and love. To me, speaking, living truth and love is maybe the hallmark, the badge of Christianity. It is. I adhere to God's truth without compromise. But it's packaged in somebody who is humble and loving and kind and who wants to serve and help others. Those together that you talk about a winning combination. It really is. So speaking the truth of love, we're to grow up in all, all aspects unto him who is Christ. Truth and love is a fertile soil. There's a passage in First Peter chapter 3. Some of you would know these, this verse. I love this verse. It is so awesome. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts... Most versions say sanctify. NIV says revere. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Isn't that awesome? Speak truth. In fact, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to speak up. Be ready to interject into that conversation. You want to know what the Bible says? Can I tell you what the Bible says? And they may say, no. Okay, that's fine. If you ever want to know, let me know. Not that I'm a Bible scholar, but I know God does speak to the issue of marriage. I know God does speak to the issue of life, the sanctity of life. I know there are a lot of issues that God speaks to. And, you know, it's so interesting to me in our society now, you know, the word that's coming out about those of us who are deeply committed Christians to the word of God. Some of them I can't say, some of the words, you know. But um, you hear commentators things like, you just haven't evolved yet. Don't you love it? You have not been enlightened you still believe that? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? You need to be more progressive in your thinking. 
those are the really nice words I could think of that are said to people like us. I mean, I could say Neanderthal, judgmental, hypocritical, and all these other accusations we get. But you know, I love First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, because what it says is instead of choosing to be a people pleaser and being so intimidated and so afraid of people, you speak the truth, you have an answer, you speak up, you say it, do it loving, do it lovingly. But in so many cases, God will vindicate you. God will be your advocate. And you know what? God will use you sometimes to even bring other people to Jesus. Amen? He absolutely does. It's awesome when he does. Let me give you my fourth observation, and that is there are no unnecessary parts in the body of Christ. Verse 16, let me just read it again to you. From him the whole body joined and held together by, keyword every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Every each. Did you know, if Mission Point is your home, church, did you know that you are indispensable to this church? Did you know that God's church has no spare parts? <laughs> Mm-mm, no spare parts. We don't have people, you know, in the storage rooms uh, waiting to be used. No spare parts. God wants to use all of us. We are all critical. We are all essential for a healthy church. And he uses this analogy of the ligaments and other body parts. You need all those functioning well to be a healthy body, a healthy physical body. And my dear brothers and sisters whom I love, to the degree that you pursue health in your own spiritual walk with Christ, to the degree that you allow yourselves and and encourage yourself to be trained and equipped to serve others, to that degree, our church becomes healthier and healthier and more grown up. And to the degree you and I don't do that. We take on more of a kind of a spectator role of Christianity or of church. You want to know who all suffers? The whole church. We all suffer. We need you. You are indispensable. And that's the reason why we have all these opportunities. We call it our connection area of the church for Bible study and and being trained and making sure that you're on a wonderful growth path. So I'm going to challenge you to do that. You know, maybe this is the Sunday, maybe this is a Sunday that you say, Lord, I really have been pretty stagnant. I mean, I enjoy going to church, and when I come here, I get to say hi to four or five people I really like, but that's pretty much it. You ready to take the next step? Are you? That would be so awesome. Let me tell you, some of the greatest joy in my life is when I serve. It's not just when I receive. It's when I serve. I think God created us as his children to serve. He's even given us gifts. Isn't that incredible? That we can do it well. When you minister out of your giftedness, you do it well. It's like, I know I'm not smart enough for what just happened, 
But for some reason, God in his grace used me and other lives were touched and other people were encouraged and other people were built up. Lord, that is so amazing. And he says, yeah, just make sure I get the glory because he's the only one who deserves it, right? We make sure he gets the glory. But he wants to use you and that is one of the most incredible, exciting, important part of the Christian life is to serve, to use your gifts to bless others. So maybe this morning is the morning that you make some kind of a commitment. Lord, I'm ready to, to be more than, if this is the case with you, more than somebody who's just sitting and receiving. I'm ready to really get in the game big time. That would be so awesome. And we as the church will be so blessed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on out. We're going to sing a final song here in just a moment. And as they do... Excuse me. One of the things we love to do here at Mission Point is give you an opportunity to talk with someone or have somebody pray with you. And what I've noticed, I think we've noticed here, is that often to have people slip out during the song and come forward is just a little intimidating. But I notice because sometimes as an elder, I'm up front here after the service, as people are leaving, somebody will come up and need prayer, need to talk. So near the end of the final chorus or verse of this uh, song we're going to sing. If our elders, those of you who are here, some of our small group leaders, if you're here and would be willing, just slip up to the front and just kind of hang out for a bit. And I just want to encourage those of you who are ready to kind of step it up, being more involved, being eager to be more equipped in God's word or in using your gifts to serve. If, you just, if it, it's helpful to you to come up and have somebody pray with you and encourage you, or even just verbalizing to somebody, that commitment can be powerful and cement it into your life. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you want us to grow up and you've given us the means, your spirit, you've given us your word, you've given us a body, a community of believers to help us and teach us and train us and love us even when we fail. We are so grateful for all the things that you have provided for us to grow up individually and as a church. And I pray, Father, this morning, if you're stirring in the hearts of of some here, that they would cement that commitment right there in their seat. That's fine. Or maybe even as we wrap up the service before they head out. Thank you, Father for your word. It's powerful. Thank you for the admonition that we can live truth and speak truth. Help us, help us to always do it in ways that are loving and humble and gracious because we know those are the kind of vessels that you use to further your kingdom. Thank you, Father. May we be faithful in every way to what you have called us to. In Christ's name we pray, amen.